Good evening, dear listener. Welcome to our Bijou, an occasional, very occasional these days, as it seems, um, podcast dedicate, dedicated to the progress, challenges, highs and lows of supporting Chelsea FC. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who have yet to decide on their gender, those who are fluid with their gender, or those who just can't be asked about the whole thing, you're listening to The Podding Shed. And it's been a bit longer uh, than expected, um, but tonight should be a quieter, more thoughtful podding shed than last time because we had a, 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 a rabble-rousing crowd in, um, but uh, uh, quieter because I'm still recovering from extreme financial shock having watched my eldest daughter get married and then my youngest daughter graduate all within five days of each other, um, and so everything about Chelsea is my return to normality. This is episode 89, and I have to put a big set of brackets around that because I think it's episode 89. I've lost count now. Um, but the episode is as yet untitled. Of course, our dear leader, Nick, our very own version of George Martin, that's the Beatles one, not the Game of Thrones one, who shoved an extra R in his, to his name or whatever, um, will no doubt cast his expert eye and ear across the recording and undoubtedly pluck a title relating to something witty, wise, worldly, wacky, or even wild. So let's crack on. Uh, start by introducing tonight's potting shed luminaries and glitterati. Um, starting with me, of course. Um, uh, my name is Tony Glover. I'm also known by my Twitter handle of at GrocerJackUK. And for tonight, I will be the Andrew Marr of the evening, keeping a watchful eye on the guests and making sure they actually answer the questions being asked. Um, first of all, we'll start with our chief provider of musical interludes and off-piste comment, um, Donal, a.k.a. Dr. Underscore Blue Bio. Welcome, Donal. Oh, good evening. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. A pleasure to be back. It is. It's been too long, and I apologise for that. I know, I know we pod when we want, but... Uh, this one, I, I'm going to use a genuine excuse of just um, having other distractions which were a little bit higher on the priority list than um, talking about Chelsea, I suppose, to be honest. Um, uh, and uh, also, uh, next, and keeping up, and, and I'm going to use a high, co- a high compliment here, keeping up is as Piliqueta-like pil- as recent run of successful appearances and continuing to be the voice of reason within the shed. We also welcome back the brilliant Martin Wickham. AKA at underscore uh, at Martin underscore Wickham on Twitter. Good evening, Martin. Or shall I call you Dave? Good evening. Uh, <laughs> you may, but I've got a really easy to pronounce first name, and Wickham's not too difficult either. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. But I just thought, you know, I just think, you know, there's this, you've got this aura about you, I think, and and uh, the, the, all the feedback's been really good, and it also pisses Chidge off knowing that you do, you've done this, but not his one yet. Um, <laughs> he, ne- he never a, asked. <laughs> no, um, and um, and back for his debut this season. After loyally sitting on the bench whilst the squad is rotated, we welcome back the lovely Kweku, aka at number one is Chelsea on Twitter. Welcome back, Kweku. Good to hear your dulcet tones again. Thank you very much. Blimey. Okay. I'm not used to because <laughs> I'm, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm being interviewed by Andrew Marr. I've got to keep it, you know, uh, be clear and, and <laughs> 
you know. Yes, yeah. Um, right, well, we'll kick off. Uh, we'll kick off with the review. It's, as I said, it's been some time, and I think um, in our last um, last pod ship, we were uh, looking and, and, and previewing Crystal Palace, where um, I think I might have been the exception um, uh, to the rule, and thought to myself, "We we will beat these because they are so unbelievably poor." Um, that even us as as renowned banana skin finders wouldn't slip on Crystal Palace, and we did. Um, and I think I was the only one who didn't think that that was a possibility, but everyone else seemed to. Since then, we've had um, a hugely roller coaster game at Watford, um, which was reminiscent of Burnley um, until probably about the last half an hour. 20 minutes or so when um, I believe a couple of um, very tasty substitutions made a hell of a difference to the whole balance of the side and everything like that Um, most notably I think Pedro was one of them Um, but actual fact we ended up being from 2-1 down ending up as um, 4-2 winners Um, it was the sort of game that when you left the ground I was absolutely buzzing and thinking what have I just seen I've just seen some pub football mixed in with you know Brazil 1970 Um, we've had a few games since then Um, since that Crystal Palace defeat we've beaten Watford Bournemouth um, in a a game that I felt um, uh, should have been something more than the one nil it was because we were that dominant Um, a cracking cracking game against Manchester United um, which I could only watch from the covers of a duvet because I was so severely hung over after my daughter's wedding um, that I knew there was no way I was going to be able to do the wedding and go to the evening do enjoy myself and then find my way to Stanford Bridge the next day and of course um, West Bromwich Albion so in the Premiership um, I'm going to ask you first Kweku was that the run we needed? Yeah definitely um, we were rubbish against Palace um, we, we've had a bit of an iffy run of form um, at the, in the last sort of month or so um, Palace and Watford was a bit ropey as well so to get to Man United has been a situation where we could um, start to keep a clean sheet for a start and also play well um, was actually quite quite a nice turnaround um, and obviously we don't need to mention what happened in Roma um, I wrote <laughs> we will, a piece today and we will get there but yeah yeah, yeah I, wrote, I wrote a piece today and I said um, that kind of mauling is, is sort of better better suited to the Coliseum rather than the Stadio Olimpico but, um, <laughs> but it's it's uh, it's been a really really um, decent run of form in the last month um, and I think that the thing that has quietly gone unnoticed is that we switched to three in midfield um, because one of the things about Bakayoko is even though he has the best song I think we've we've created in about the last five seasons um, he really does give the ball away um, so um, <laughs> it's it's, with, with apologies to, to, to the people who created the song, uh, I think they you know needed to add an extra line or two. But yeah. um, we've had three. We've had Kante come back, so he's, he's bolstered up the midfield. So Fabregas is obviously free to start um, spraying his passes around. Then it, it's looked good. You know we've uh, Hazard's in, in great form, Morata's in form, um, and um, Fabregas is doing what we know he can do. So we've had a bit of a dodgy <laughs> spell, but we've come through it and. Um, we're only actually two points off where we were last season, as it goes. So um, it's ticking along quite nicely. It's just, unfortunately, the two the two Manchester clubs or one Manchester club um, are just streaking, streaking clear. But yeah, yeah. I think they'll be. I think they. I think they'll be caught before too long because uh, I think a lot of those games have been fodder, and it's the same as it was last season. You know, they they just 
they've been in a period where they've just been able to smack teams about. But as the Champions League comes back and as they start playing proper opposition, I think I think we might see uh, see a few wobbles. He says, hopefully. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because I was going to sort of talk about the fact that, um, you know, we've teetered on the edge of this crisis club and throughout all of this, um, you know, there was one, you know, if, if we take Palace aside, which was, you know, I'm just going to put that as a bad day at the office and uh, lessons needed to be learned and all this. Um, but actually looking at it, you know, we've, we've, we've done okay. Uh, take Roma aside because that was, a, that was some sort of different blip. There was something quite wrong about that. Um, but maybe Conte's comparative lack of experience in the Champions League um, is something that he's going to be on a voyage of discovery this season as well as us um, after the season. Now, you know you're supposed to throw a coin in the trivia fountain so you can come back. Yeah, if you can get past all the hawkers and the street sellers, you can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to be doing that. Um, given that, I don't think, When was the last time we actually won in Italy? Can anyone um, remember? I think, I think it must have been Vicenza. Away. It's, yeah. been, it's been that long. Yeah. We, we, you know, we've lost in Vicenza, didn't we? Um, oh, we lost, no, yeah, we lost in Vicenza as well. Yeah, so, uh, can anyone remember? I can't remember. It'd no, be an interesting one to go back and look at. I, I just wanted to move on to, to, to Martin and say, um, throughout all of this, what's your, what's your view? And, and any, any specific highlight and low light? In that, you know, since that Watford game, or including well, that. Firstly, Watford game. I've just remembered the last time we won in Italy. It was against Lazio in 2003. Jesus Christ. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, gonna, I'm, do, I'm doing that Ronnie yeah. Barker thing of answering the question previously. Excellent. Marvo, the memory man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Very good. Where, where are the 39 steps? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know how to full sketch. <laughs> um, I think the well start with the most recent game because my memory is appalling. But um, the West Brom game, I think, was just I was worried in the similar way to the way it was for the Palace game because West Brom were similarly awful, hadn't won in about ten to eleven games, and um, thankfully they were as awful as advertised. It's one of those things where if, if a Tony Pulis team has no fight, no bottle, no and just isn't trying, then there is no point in Tony Pulis being there. So yeah, yeah, I'm, not yeah. I'm not surprised at the least surprising sacking I think you'll ever see. But also, I think the performance was one of the more cohesive ones. Once we settled in, it just did not look looked in control from the get-go. And, you know, I think they took their foot off the gas in the last half hour or so, you know, with games ahead. They were, I think they were thinking ahead to travelling to Baku and then Liverpool on Saturday. Um... Yeah, there's been since Palace, since Watford, it's been there's always there's always seems to be one conceded goal away from full blown crisis. Mm. It's just qu- quietly in the last couple of games or so, it's um, settled down a little bit. I mean, the win against Manchester United can only have boosted everyone's confidence because it was a very good performance across the board, yeah, and it, it looks it looks have gone from there. So quietly, I think we've racked up like four wins in mm. a row in the league. And yeah. you know, last season managed thirteen, so not, not that I'm looking that far ahead, but we've got a lot of games well, coming up yeah, yeah. over the next six weeks. I, I, we I could, actually, so it's a very good position. I had that in the um, in the in the preview, but I'll, I'll bring it in now, which is um, you know um, after Liverpool um, on Saturday, we are home to Swansea, home to Newcastle, away to West Ham, away to Huddersfield, home to Southampton, home to Bournemouth, away to Everton, home to Brighton. 
and then we have Stoke at home. And if we win all of them, which is quite feasible, because you know if we, it, it, you know, we, we they're none of them on paper should frighten us in in the way if we played against if we play in the way we played against United. That would put that would give us fourteen games on the spin, yes. um, yeah. which would. Which would I'm thinking, I'm thinking we'll be happy with maybe picking up six to nine points out of that and staying out of relegation. <laughs> That's because you're old school like me, I think, Daryl. <laughs> um, get to the forty points. Yeah, get to the forty yeah. points, and then we can all just <laughs> then we can all just go down the pub and decide whether or not to walk to the ground or not. Um, I want to go to you, Donal. Actually, though, we're thinking about that because um, you know it, it, I go back to that question: Was that the run we needed? Um, I want to p- cast a particular eye on the Manchester United game because um, for me that was so remarkably good I mean it was such a, a turnaround in four days or whatever it was from the Roma game um, where we looked dispirited lazy um, disjointed um, uh, as Rodney Marsh once said we looked like the cones on the training pitch um, we, were, we were so so bad and then to turn in a performance like that which <coughs> irrespective of Mourinho's stupid post-match rant about you know they controlled the game yet they had less possession less shots less shots on target less goals um, uh, I just wonder what your thoughts on that were it, it seems such a a remarkable turnaround. It kind of leads into part two, where I was going to talk about Antonio Conte. And you know, one minute he's leaving. I hear Italy are calling him again um, for the national coach's job. But um, you know, there's this man apparently under pressure who turns up last weekend, spout, sporting a new beard and smiling and joking and laughing again. It's almost like something's happened and it was you know could it be related to Emanalo no matter what he says but something seems to have changed maybe he's found his, his winning recipe don't all um, yeah I mean the two things that stood out for me was that we managed to concede six goals to Roma over two games um, I, I wonder when was the last time we conceded that sort of number of goals to the same team in a season um, now I haven't been able to haven't had the time or maybe even the inclination to analyse it frame by frame as to whether or not Roma probed a weakness uh, in in the system. The form of certain players seemed off. Um, Kante was missing, wasn't he? If I'm not mistaken, yeah. certainly from yeah. the from yeah. the away game. Um, <clears throat> and perhaps something in that prompted this change to the three-man midfield and playing Hazard sort of in behind uh, Morata. I mean, Morata in Rome looked fed up, isolated, all the stories that he was unhappy here and ready to go. And then, as you say, a few days later, he turned in a fantastic performance against United. You know, nothing, I mean, aside from his headed goal, everything he did, you know, even when he made mistakes was was positive and was was indicative of a player who had some confidence about him. Yeah. I, I don't know whether you whether you just put that second Roma game, you know, the first Roma game wasn't inspiring either to give up a two goal lead and be hanging on. Um the second Roma game was that just one of those games you have? I don't know. Because as you say, it came in a run of in a run of four four wins in the premiership. And the performance against Bournemouth was better than the 1-0 would suggest. 
um, Everton, sorry, it was three games in the Premiership and the Everton game in the Carrier Bag um, Cup. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's certainly, it's. In, I think one benefit of this is if people were working out the the two the two two midfielders and two wide men playing either side of Morata, he's now got a different system, slightly different system, which means that we know that they've got sort of two options. They've got two ways to go against a team and still maintain this three at the back, which he he obviously favours. So, you know, Pedro and William and Hazard providing the width, or Hazard coming coming further inside and, and playing in behind Morata. You know, now teams can't be sure exactly how they're going to set up, which I think is a good thing. Um, that's, that's interesting. I was going to go move it to you, Martin, on that one, because um, I'm just wondering if there's an element of surprise back about us now, because, um, you know, we seem slavish to 3-5-2. I, you know, I, mean, I fucking hate tactics, I do, but um, almost slavish to it. And now, you know, either through... Um, you know, some brilliant thinking and, and, uh, and, and, you know, tactical rethinking, if you like, from Conte or through, you know, the fact that he's been forced to do it by injuries. Um, you know, we're swapping things around and we seem to be a bit more fluid and, you know, ever since that Roma game, it's almost like the Roma game, um, became the equivalent of Arsenal last season. What do you think? Yeah, I think the, the midfield thing is a interesting one because what I've noticed is rather, you, I don't think defenders know which midfielder's going to stay back and which one's going to make forward runs because a couple of times during the Man U game, Bakayoko was clean through on goal and then had his boots yeah. on the wrong feet and couldn't finish. <laughs> um, he, has, he has got a bit of a shooting. He seems to have taken lessons from John Obi Mikel, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all love John Obi Mikel. Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but another time, it was Kante making the forward runs. I think Atletico away, he was getting far more forward than he had previously so I think there's been an evolution from when the first time we saw 3-5-2 I think it was more of an emergency measure when we played Tottenham at Wembley and Fabregas was suspended Cahill was suspended so Luis pushed up Christensen played in the back three so it's gone from almost like an emergency measure into actually we can create the element of surprise and it gives opposing managers now something else to think about because I would say towards maybe the tail end of last season, certainly the start of this, 3-4-3 or um, whatever it was, was getting getting matched and getting countered. So if you can change it up a little bit and make it more fluid, then it can only benefit us. We've actually done it before, even before the Tottenham game. We did it um, against Liverpool in the Cup at Anfield. And uh, it's... It's uh, something we used to do defensively uh, because we we play Fabregas slightly further forward and put two behind him. Um, I know Tony's enjoying this section. Cause I know no, I'm no, no. Just... I'm happy for you not to chat away about it. You, <laughs> you, you carry but, on. Um, I'll... But yeah, it's, it's, it's something that um, we've definitely done before. And the best thing about it is that it allows Fabregas and Hazard to be free. You put you put the responsibility of, of the football um in their hands you know everyone else does the running and those two just do what they like and it's causing teams a lot of problems because Hazard is basically free to run about and do what he likes um, and Fabregas is pretty much free to just pick him out and pick Morata out who does a lot more running than, than Costa used to do um, yeah. when he was in a bad mood um, but um, but yeah I mean, it's, it's working I, I, to be honest with you I think this business of Conte with his beard you know I mean uh, it's a good job he didn't start it last season because if he had he looked like Terry Wake by the end of the season 
Um, but he's he's uh, tripped over it running down the touchline. I'm telling you, you know. So so I think it's something that um, Conte has up his sleeve. And it, um, last season, actually, just while we're on this, um, Gabriel Marcotti um, did an interview um, very early on in the season when we were we were just starting to hit form, and he said even then that Conte didn't want to play 3-4-3 forever because he knew that it was going to get found out and yeah. that his plan was to have a whole series of systems um, ready for us. And I think the problem this season was that we didn't have, uh, through injuries and all the rest of it, we didn't have the the, the range of players that he needed to, to do anything different. Mm-hmm. And you see now that Conte has come back, we're playing 3-5-2, we're playing 3-4-3. We can do, we can do a whole load of things. So mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to probably see a few more options as well as the season develops. I'm, I'm going to bring in the CPO. Sorry, sorry. The CPO dinner back earlier in February, and Conte was asked about the formation thing. He actually said his preferred formation was four two four. Believe it or yeah, not, yeah. I'm <laughs> he, he hasn't got the personnel off, to do it here. <laughs> he started off like that at Juventus, um, mm-hmm. and he only moved back to three five two because he had uh, he had this player called Pirlo. Um, who kind of uh, you couldn't really play as a two because he doesn't really know how to defend. Um, right, yeah, exactly. But uh, that's, um, now it's interesting that you say that because actually on, I listened to last night's fan cast um, and I, I, I can't remember. I think it was Clayton, uh, Clayton Beerman, of, uh, you know, occasionally of this parish as well. And he mentioned that um, I think he, he mentioned that it's almost like Conti is building Fabregas into being that kind of Perlo figure. The way yeah. he's playing him at the moment, you know, and yeah. I think we've probably said a couple of seasons ago that you know if anybody can pick a pick a man out who you know and not resurrect his career because I don't think there was much wrong with Fabregas's career, but um, put a new slant on it, much that we did with um, uh, we, uh, we did we did a, a little bit with Desai, um, but where you sort of take a player and say, look, you know what, I've got something else for you here. Um, I think you'd be really good at it. And Conti's track record, you know, with Perlo is is fantastic. Um, and I just wondered what your th- what your thoughts on that are. Actually, think about mm. it. Go far away, all three of you, just jump in. Like, well, if you if you if you're if you're kind of a bit sad and you don't have a missus like me, um, then you look at possession stats, and it's interesting that um, Fabregas, uh, sorry, since Fabregas has come into the three, um, our possession has just rocketed up. Um, from Bournemouth onwards, um, we're dominating possession, especially against Man United, which is interesting because uh, you would expect Man United to have dominated the possession, but we we were pretty we were pretty much on top of them, and obviously at West Brom as well. Because once you allow Fabregas to just concentrate on what he does best, which is to take a football and pass it about, it's very hard to get the ball off us because yeah. he's usually pinging it to you know with quality to people like uh, Hazard and Morata who will keep it. But if you've got a situation where he's having to worry about his defending and where he's going to be, then obviously the ball's going to get given away. And we're, um, as a result, we're going to be under the cosh as well because we know that um, Bakayoko, a great song, you know, he's not been fit for most of the season. So um, I think, yeah, I think the longer we have Kante fit and we have Bakayoko getting near fitness, Fabregas is going to be free to cause as much damage as he likes. Um, and we, we're going to actually look really, really attractive as a result of that. So... I don't think we can underestimate the contribution that uh, Murata. Uh, you were saying earlier on about Kante being a oh, one-man team because of the importance of Kante. I think that's to lay too much on 
a single player. Uh, obviously, he is. You know, he makes a difference to to any team he plays for. But I think the form of Hazard and Morata makes that whole system yeah. really work well. Um, yeah. My other my other thought would be that if we're going to do this sort of thing in future, I think we ought to uh, provide listeners with a list of sort of two condiments, uh, a bottle of ketchup, Lee and Perrins, and an Encona sauce, and then we can tell them to put them on the table, and we can do our formations based on... <laughs> if, if we drop the Lee and Perrins in behind the tomato ketchup, uh, pushing the condiments out wide, and I think it'll be much easier for people to well, understand. Well, after all this Brexit stuff, I'd expect it to be salt and pepper. Yeah, you know, where's, where's all this 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 fancy uh, fancy foreign stuff? Yeah, we don't have any of that anymore. That's that's right. Yeah. I, I, this is obviously oh, oh, and oh, you know, well, there's a HP, great HP sauce to my ketchup. There's a great heritage in this, of course, because you know this is how famously everyone ever used to explain the offside rule, wasn't it? By using yes. yeah. condiment. I mean, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that the FA and possibly even FIFA. Um, <laughs> you used to use it and thinking, how can we improve this rule? Well, if we make so that I, one over there inactive. <laughs> okay. to, to, to be honest with you, Tony, I, I learned the offside rule by being shouted at by my coach about fifteen yeah, times yeah. a game. So I think that's yeah. probably that probably. Yeah, the but case but, but if you'd have someone with a proper set of condiments to explain it, to exactly, you, that would never yeah. have happened. Yeah, yeah. No, all he, all he needed yeah. was a portion of fish and chips, and I'd have been away. <laughs> so back to the. Getting back to the, yeah, move, moving swiftly back to the football. Um, I think in amongst all of this, uh, and we will talk about Roma in a minute, um, certainly the second game, but in amongst all this was a game against Everton in the um, Carabao Cup, Caribou Cup, I don't know how you pronounce it really, um, which um, we, I think we all saw was, um, was refreshingly good because we had actually had some of our youngsters out there. Um, um, I'm going to go to you, Martin, for your thoughts on, on that one. Oh, my, me, the famous youth advocate. Um, I prefer to, call it the, prefer to call it the League Cup myself, but um, that's another another point. Um, I was really, really impressed by Ethan Ampadu. I think the highest compliment you can pay to him is that he just looked like he belonged in there straight away. He just comfortable on the ball, and he got he got at the end of a few crunching challenges, got up, shook him off, and just kept playing. It was. Yeah, like he was really refreshing. He's only seventeen as well, isn't he? I oh, know it, it's sickening, isn't it? Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely sickening. Um, I think I think one of the things about him and what's encouraging for a lot of youngsters is that he came out of the Exeter City youth system, didn't he? Wow. Yeah. And you know, uh, my son plays football. He's in the sort of area, not him personally, but where boys are getting scouted and so on and so forth. And the, because of it being London, you've got Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal. Um, and a lot of boys get very fixated on those big names and turn down the chance to go down the road to Orient or Charlton or somewhere. And it, it's, it, it, it especially demonstrates that he hasn't come up through the Chelsea Academy. He's come up from, from Exeter. Um, you don't have to be at the big academy at the age of 11 to become a great footballer. Well, I think is, that, that's this, really helpful. You this know, is such a good point. Yeah. This is such a good point because if you look at the, if you look at the England side now, um, very few of them um, have come through the big clubs from start to finish. It's not like how it was where you had someone like Gerard, Gerard and Carragher and Michael Owen. They'd all come through Liverpool or Scholes and Beckham and, and that lot would come through Man United. 
a lot of these players have come from smaller clubs, Delhi Alley, um, or even other clubs like uh, Sporting Lisbon and Eric Dyer's case, and then come to the bigger clubs later on, maybe towards 17, 18, 19, that age. And I think this is gonna this is gonna sound a bit weird given the way people look at our youth system, but I think this is the best possible time to be a Chelsea youth team player because we don't have that much, we don't have the same amount of money as we did before. We're going to need to spend a lot of money to keep people like Hazard if we can. And there's a lot of space to come in and fill the gaps left by people like uh, Chalabar and, and all, the, all the lot who went off to Watford and so on. So if you're Loftus-Cheek and you're Abraham and you're Ethan Ambadu uh, or Charlie Masonda, if you're playing well, you're likely to be either on the bench or very, very close to the first team, uh, being a first team regular. So I think I think next season we might have quite a few of those lot um, in and around the first team um, if they carry on playing the way they're playing. It was a hell of a statement as well that Ampadu played the full 90 while Drinkwater, who was making his debut, came off after 70 minutes or so. I didn't know that Drinkwater existed. I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was a hologram. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's something we got free with Kante and we didn't realise until we looked at the bottom of the box. It's like Miniero a few years back. Ricardo <laughs> <Yeah>. Caresma. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, he might have been injured, to be fair to him, hasn't he? So, yeah. you know, we've, you know, he's, he's, it, it's interesting that he's now getting back to fitness and that, that helps greatly because obviously one of the problems early in the season was when Kante disappeared. Um, they really, they were struggling, weren't they? You know, as you yeah. say, Chalabur had gone off to Watford and Loftus Cheek wasn't around, and, and they were struggling to to do to go with a three man midfield. You feel that had Drinkwater been fit, he would probably have have been playing in in that sort of role. We, we probably we, still have had. We basically got Leicester's Leicester's engine room. Um, you know, so I mean, I know, I know a lot of people are looking at Drinkwater and saying, "Why have we spent that much, that much money on somebody who's you know playing for Leicester?" But the reality is that that's that's the midfield that Leicester won the league with. So it's not bad going, you know. Once they're once he's fit, you know, um, especially as we're talking about playing through in midfield, you've got Drinkwater and Kante behind Fabregas. Then it's not bad, is it? There's a lot of snobbery towards English signings from English clubs. To listen to some people when he signed, you'd think he'd been picked off Hackney Marshes or something. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you, you, you forget that we you forget that we signed a pudgy uh, 11 million pound player from West Ham. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, did he go on to do anything much? That guy, I don't know. Ah, uh, not much. Rubbish. You know, but I think um, it's interesting because. Uh, and, and we will move into sort of part two in a minute because we'll sort of run through some of the players. Um, but overall, I'm intrigued. Just going to finish it off on this one about the the run because we're up to about I think we're up to about twenty twenty five minutes, which is where I kind of estimate thirty minutes. Um, uh, and the, that round. So I just want a quick comment on the fact that. Um, uh, West Brom, which was the one that I'm a bit like you, Martin, I thought, Christ, you know, this is always going to be a tough bloody away. When you think about where we won the league last year and how tough that game was and how it was looking like it was <coughs> nil-nil and we'd have to wait till a week later or whatever. Um, how how good it feels to possibly be the ones to dispatch a West Brom manager for once um, and, and, and to do it in such style. 4-0 flat at West Brom, I thought. Bit flattered West Brom. They, I know they were, you know, and we have this habit of beating teams like that, and people going, "Yeah, but it's because the other team was so bad." But you know, I kind of think it was because our players went in there and were so good. Um, quick thoughts, chaps. West, West Brom were lucky to get nil. 
Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. West Brom's we, best we, player was the ref as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's appalling, I mean, isn't he? Is he uh, John Moss is that? Oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. awful. I think someone said he's he's never really improved from the days when he used to be the drummer of Culture Club. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a shock. Do you see that tackle on Hazard? It's, yeah. I mean, he just away. Yeah, and the West Brom fans booed Hazard um, when he got back up. You know, uh, we eventually got back up. And it, well, I think. Every, every, not just Chelsea fans. I think most people who are got some sort of in, level of intelligence about football know that Hazard uh, is one of the least divey players around. Okay, um, mm-hmm. and I think somewhere I read somewhere that Hazard in an interview once said he sees it almost as a badge of honour that people want to kick lumps out of him. Um, my my own worry is is that he ends up being kicked out of the game much like Marco Van Basten was, you know, and having to retire um, some four or five years, you know, too early. But uh, he's his revenge, and I, I saw uh, one of them um, gift things on it or whatever. Um, it, it was almost. You did ever, I, some of you might not remember this, but it was a program called The Hulk many years ago. Um, when he, his catchphrase was, "Don't make me angry." You wouldn't like me yeah. when I'm angry. And it just seemed to turn Hazard into this... He'd already been having a pretty good game, but into a complete beast. He was it just... He was almost... Sign of a he was, yeah, he was taking the piss. That's what I thought. Mm. Um, so, sign, sign of a proper player. I remember... Um, I mean, you don't need to worry about it. That, it Hazard is a strong boy. If you look at... Um, uh, he's got that thing. It's just sound ridiculous. But he's got that thing that small, technically gifted players have, the, the best ones. He's, if you look at his lower, the, the lower half of him, he's, at, he's built, properly built. Um, large backside as well, which is usually good for number 10s. You can old players <laughs> off. Um, and I remember at Stoke when we won the title under Jose. Um, Stoke, I think it was uh, the usual suspects for Stoke. Uh, Bill the, Bardsley. The, the Bardsley and um, Shawcross and all the rest of them tried to just kick into smithereens and he absolutely ran them ragged afterwards and it reminded me of Thierry Henry um, at Highbury a game against I think it was a season they went unbeaten and Danny Mills basically started running around trying to kick him and Thierry Henry spent the entire afternoon just taking his revenge out on the Leeds defence it, it, it was actually it was it was actually quite I felt sorry for Leeds which is a first in my life um, but he's uh, <laughs> wow he, he, silly yeah Hazard Hazard can handle that um Although John Moss, um, aside from just making one of the most appalling decisions that I, I've seen this season on Azov, do you see the Fabregas, uh, Fabregas being booked for diving? Yes. This, this is, sorry to have a little rant, but this is one of my real bugbears. People need to understand the difference between diving, falling over, and just generally just being knocked over for contact, rather than just being booked for any occasion that you actually go down. Yeah. I mean, if he can't understand that as a referee, I don't know what he's doing there, to be honest. Why would he dive when we were 3-0 up? It just didn't yeah. make sense. Nil-nil you could, or maybe, you, you might you know, take a fall in the box, but 3-0 up, cruising, and he had a decent chance to score. Why would he dive? Mm. I, he, with, he reminded me of me going around Westfield after about three shops. You get that sort of terrible wobbly leg, and you have to go and sit down, don't you? I'll just get out of there. <laughs> That's why you shouldn't wear your high heels, don't. I think he, there's a point in there that um, John Moss, of all the referees, and I, 
I'm even going to put him down as possibly one notch below Craig Pawson, who uh, infamously um, uh, refereed the Burnley game, where we all know what happened there and what a, you know some shocking decisions that went that way uh, during that game. Um, but John Moss, to me, uh, you know, he just looks like he's too old. I don't know what it is. He looks older than me, and, and I don't know what it is. And he looks out <coughs> of shape, and he just looks like a. Um, it doesn't look qualified to, to referee at that level. And I think that some of the decisions were, um, I think, uh, was it, what's the guy's name? We were just talking about, someone mentioned him, I don't know how you pronounce it, is it Jakob, Jakob, whatever, but I don't know. Jakob. It just seems to yeah, be yeah. Uh, one of these players who's a bit of a West Brom's version of, you know, Ryan Shawcross or whatever, um, mm-hmm. a player built to do one job, which is basically kick. Um, yes. And uh, wasn't it something like the 80th minute before he got booked? I don't know what it, it was. It was, you know, it was just ludicrous. Yeah, he just spent the entire. Wait, yeah. He came on for the second half and just spent. He started it kicking lumps out of players and then, you know, having a go at them when they went down and he just kept doing it all half. Ironically, he was about the only player on that team who showed a little bit of fight about himself because the rest of them just folded like a pack of cards. They were useless. What, what I found that. interesting, what I found interesting was I, I didn't. I, I saw quite a bit of the game, is he came on and committed several yellow card offences very quickly uh, yeah. and didn't get a yellow card for them. And I, I think I tweeted it. Um, I, I sort of basically bet that you wouldn't see any of that on match of the day. And indeed, you didn't. Not one Jakob challenge was shown on, on match of the day. I know they've only got 10 minutes, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, had... had uh, Rudiger come on at half time and gone round kicking lumps out of West West Brom, you would have seen that shown quite evidently. Yeah. But the other thing was the sort of, you know, Alan Shearer can break your ankle or kick you in the head, but he's an England player, so he gets away with it. Type halo can be seen around Gareth Barry, who can regularly, not just with Chelsea players, but regularly goes around making quite poor tackles. And the one on Hazard was a very poor tackle. Mm. It did not elicit mention from the commentator. No. Who only commentated on the fact that Hazard was on the ground and being booed by West Brom fans. Correct, yeah. And then later, yeah. later on, when Hazard, he may have had another, someone else had maybe taken a bite out of him, or it might have been just a couple of minutes after this while he was still wound up. He went in, was it on Barry or someone else, left his foot in? It wasn't, you know, it was, uh, it was a foul not particularly nice one either, but he was obviously felt that he was getting no protection. And they they went back and replayed that moment with the commentator talking about, you know, how Hazard had, you know, quite a nasty, was it, he called it a nasty and something challenge? Nasty and naughty or something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. remember having, that. Yeah. Having not, having watched us, having talked us through a slow motion replay of Gareth Barry coming straight in on it, you know, an angry yeah. break. And, and said nothing about it and you just think you know okay it's easy to, to criticise commentators and so on but surely it's the flair players who should be getting the benefit of the doubt and not well, people is, like Gareth Barry going around crippling people this, this is the point because uh, these uh, I remember hearing a Brazilian player used to play oh, I can't remember whether it was uh, Gigi or one of the other ones he used to play in the 50s with Pele and he said, if you were a creative, skillful player, you had to have two things. You had to have, obviously, the technical ability. But he said the second thing you had to have was the knowledge of how to break someone's leg. 
because the protection <laughs> that you used to get. Oh, this is a true story. Is yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I'm, I'm... In, those, in those days, was was it didn't exist, and the standard of refereeing, this this obsession with diving, is going to cause that kind of response because everybody's looking out for players who are diving, and they're not looking out for players who are getting their legs broken or their ankles smashed. And if you're Hazard or you're Fabregas or you're a player like that. If the referee's not going to protect you and constantly look to book you for diving, why wouldn't you protect yourself? Yeah. Yeah. You know? well, uh, earlier in the season, there was that ankle high shock of Peter Crouch put on Fabregas. Yeah. Uh, you know, because yeah, yeah. he's a bit funny on Twitter, so he's not that type of player. It's, it's, yeah, not, yeah, even, yeah. it's not even about protection, it's just about, you know, applying the letter of the law. Yes. You know, if you a challenge sure goes in like you. that. Yeah, and doing it consistently. Yeah. All and you and want is trying to tackle. Yeah. Was he was trying to tackle or do his, or do his I, uh, robot dance? I th- yeah, <laughs> no, I think, it was... It, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a shocking... Yeah, it, was, it was a it terrible, was awful. It was yeah. awful. I mean, it was... And in any other game, straight red. Any other game, straight red. Yeah. I'm going to move on now and talk about some um, of the... Uh, t- Tony, oh, before we move on, this might be the moment where we we just have a little small musical interlude. Indeed. Uh, as we have covered the West, the West Brom game. And, yes. You know, he ha- has been very much part of the, the game for a long time. We have lost two managers at the Hawthorns, and now we've left the Hawthorns, and their manager has gone down. The, in some ways, a vuncular Welshman. You know, he reminds me in many ways. I suppose in all sorts of uh, mythology throughout the ages, a bit like Judas. You can't have the Last Supper. You can't have the crucifixion without Judas. And so he's one of those characters who, you know, you have to have the dark in order to have the light. And so, to some extent, that's Tony Pulis, you know, and he shoulders this burden, you know, in a sort of calm and quite avuncular manner, I always feel, you know, knowing that he is the, you know, you can't have Pep and his beautiful foot without the sort of non-football that Tony Pulis coaches. And that we ourselves have occasionally enjoyed from time to time, you know. Yes, yes. We were, you know. Um, I'm a fan of the the Republic of Ireland. I was looking forward to to a team winning the World Cup without any possession at all. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, that never happened. I was Uh, as well, Daniel, because I got my Irish passport, and so I've got my UK passport and an Irish passport. So, you know, I was I would be able to 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 literally show both my faces. You know, (laughs) (laughs) it was a sort of Flan O'Brien third policeman type carry on, whereby we'd managed to win the World Cup without ever touching the ball. Anyway, (laughs) so I thought we ought to have a small musical, you know, uh, farewell to to Mr. Pugh. So you can imagine this is the the day after the game somewhere around West Brom, and we're hearing the mellifluous tones of gentleman Jim Reeves. Coming up for you now, any moment. Dead air is never good air. <laughs> but we're together. Oh, I'll tell the man to turn the jukebox way down low. And you can tell your friend there with you, you'll have to go. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> Goodbye, Tony. 
Yes, my my my, my poor my old mum would be looking at that, listening to that now. How swaying the red boy she alive? She was a big Jim Reeves fan. Um, thank you for that, donor. I'm going to move. Uh, we'll move it on now. We're going to talk about some of the players. So I think we've probably covered as much as we can of the games without going into sort of huge amounts of detail, being as there's been so bloody many of them. And we've skipped over nicely over the, the whole Roma debacle, which is just as well, really, because all we wanted to sit there is to say, well, well, whatever happened in Roma, we've uh, seemed to have resolved it and moved on. I'm going to start the progress and the players bit, really. I want to talk about um, the the kind of big news, I suppose, that no one foresaw coming. Um, uh, and that was the departure of uh, Michael Emanalo, um, uh, a, a, a very Marmite figure amongst the Chelsea fans. Um, and yet, uh, and, and, and I remember this pod in Shed Well, where I got absolutely slapped down um, by yourself, Donal, um, by uh, Mark once of this parish and Johnny um, once also once of this parish uh, because I suggested that he was a, an unqualified idiot who shouldn't be anywhere near the game only to be um, told and and actually have my mind changed which is that you know, Roman Abramovich one of the richest men in the world um, you do not become as successful as him um, by surrounding yourself with idiots who don't know what they're doing or just yes men and um uh, he seems well, to have taken. He seems to have taken. Somehow we managed to make this a very successful podcast by doing that. Anyway. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> we did. <laughs> um, what I was going to say was actually, uh, it seems to me that he, he, you know, uh, that whenever things were going wrong, uh, even beginning this season, people were going, it's Emanalo's fault, as if he was the one that was picking the team, motivating the players, uh, choosing the tactics, and deciding when substitutes needed to be um, used or whatever, rather than uh, anybody else. Um, and yet, when it all goes well, it's all down to Conte and the players. Um, now, I know football fans are fickle, and I know that's pretty much the way it was. But I, you know, I think, I think. I, I tend to think that you know if you if you read the press and, and read that what's coming out of the club was he was very well thought of uh, amongst the hierarchy. Cos, um, Conti himself appears to have um, uh, said that he he got on very well with him, um, and I don't think you can stay ten years at a club during its most successful period ever since its formation uh, and be a complete um, fuckwit really. Um, I'd like to ask, um, I'm going to go with you, Donal, on this one, actually. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think it's one of those things where I don't, because I'm, I'm never behind the closed doors of Chelsea, it's difficult to tell. Um, obviously, he came in at a time, you know, just after um, Mourinho's disappearance for the first time, you know, I mean, Avram Grant and all that sort of thing. So he came in at a time where, it wasn't easy to to come on board without being seen as, uh, as you know uh, part of the the betrayal of, of Jose Mourinho etc. Um, uh, I think we we focus possibly too much on on the the transfer side of the, the things he does. He, he he was eventually sort of director of football, technical director, whatever, and therefore had a part to play in, in the academy and, and the loan system and things like that. And there are quite a few names in the background who, who've built that up over the years and he's possibly one of those. So, yeah, I, like you say, I, I, I don't know which way to, to look at him other than to say if he's done the job that people says he's done, then he's done relatively well. I think everyone... everyone 
has their transfer successes and transfer failures. I, I was reading an article today where they were talking about there's an over-reliance in the English game. They, they were choosing this, the Steve Walsh move from Leicester to um, to Everton to, to home in on this idea. You know, like when we got hold of Frank Arneson, there's always someone who is, it, it's believed, holds the keys to the kingdom, you know, and knows where all the great players are and, and so on and so forth. And yet none of them over time really prove 100% successful. So I think... You know, there's an over-reliance on judging him through player acquisition um, and perhaps not in the other things he may or may not have done in the background. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, it'll be interesting to see who comes in instead of him, if anyone. And, and we might sort of be able to assess him more in a few years' time when he's gone uh, because we might see the hole that he's left yeah. hopefully not that there is a there is a proper succession plan and someone comes in and takes yeah. up the reins but, is it, it might. You know, I, I agree with you you don't think you could survive at Chelsea that long without having some you know Kate if really. he did survive that long and was completely effing useless then yeah. he's one of the great all time corporate politicians of our era isn't he in yeah, well, order to in order to survive in that yeah, sort of, I, I wonder sphere. whether it's whether people look at it. Um, you know, I was um, always, uh, and I remember Peter Kenyon was almost a bit of a marmite character because of where he'd come from, and yet, and yet, he was the CEO of the most successful club that's ever been in the Premiership, uh, and you know, un, under Kenyon's stewardship, we had a, he he saw it all in and, and basically saw it all out. And if, if I remember rightly, he had to do a year's garden leave, gardening leave. Mm. Um, uh, before he could join us, and yet you look at him uh, comparing him to Gourlay, and, and he was—he was—he was a fantastic um, CEO who, who was was renowned by all accounts for you know popping in and having a pint with fans after the game and taking a load of stick off them, but also you know engaging with them. And I, Emanalo sort of strikes me as being one of these characters that you know when when all else fails, you you just look at somebody who's on the border in the hierarchy and dig them out. Martin, your thoughts? Yeah, I didn't really understand Emanalo's role for a long time I, I think at one point I did accuse him of stealing a living but um, I've reappraised that recently and I think it's it was unfortunate for him that he became you know the prominent figure at a time when Chelsea changed their own outlook from you know we're going to fire 50 pound notes at everyone to um, reining spending back a little bit and trying to you know develop a you know, youth policy if you like you know develop and player development he became a lightning rod for a lot of the negativity that came from fans about that. Um, as I think Donald said, you know, every time you know a transfer dealing failed, he seemed like he got the blame. And if it was a signing, it was someone else's got the credit for it. It was very strange. Uh, I would say, though, he did seem to have cultivated a lot of friends in the media, judging by some of the um, hagiographies that were written about him. I think... Um, I've said for all, Matt Law, the guy who writes for the Telegraph, is actually Michael Emanalo's pen name because it read like a who's <laughs> it read like a who's who entry when he reported his resignation. It was um, quite amusing there. Um, but you know, it's, as he's gone now. It would it would be a bit of a worry if Emanalo's role was to almost act as a conduit between the football manager and the football board, and if he's not there and there's no one acting as the go-between if that causes problems further down the line. And that, that's, that would be my concern. If someone doesn't come in to 
take that role on to work with mm. Conte, work with the board and, you know, smooth over any, you know, disagreements or arguments that may happen as a result of, you know, Which have, uh, different different priorities, which apparently have happened already. Do you have anyone in mind, Martin, that you would like to see in there? I genuinely haven't got the slightest fucking clue who can do that job Excellent. properly. So uh, Excellent. You know, nothing like nothing question. like nothing like blatant honesty. I, I I have a uh, a, a penchant that you know that uh, there's a, a, a you know a Pirlo announced a retirement at very much um, an opportune time, but Balak, who's a massive, I, I would like an ex-player. I do think I would like that ex-player. And if I was going to be pushed into choosing, um, I think there's there's no other ex-Chelsea pro other than somebody who's been the captain of Germany um, has won pretty much you know everything there was to, to, to win in, in football and that would be um, someone like Michael Ballack but um, uh, Kweku doesn't tend to be filmed by high profile ex-players though it tends no, to be, you, you, hear the, you see the people who are in the row like it's, start, hell it's, starting, it's starting to be it's starting to be is it? And, okay. uh, yeah it's um uh, I mean, Tony made some really, really interesting points, actually. He was taking me back to the Kenyan era. I remember being in a, basically just being in a, a, a an absolute campaign against Peter Kenyon. Um, I, I actually remember being told to leave the stadium because I was, <laughs> I was, I was carrying placards uh, calling for the guy to go. Um, uh, Chelsea Middlesbrough 2000 and, uh, 2004, I think it was. Right, okay. Had he, had he even got there yet? <laughs> yeah. No, no, he was, he was there. It was his first season under Romans. So it was 2003-04 and I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to, to enter the stadium with my, with my, uh, my protest. Which, when you think that end... we have a Russian owner, is hardly surprising, really, is it? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, was, regulations, I, honest. I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was a bit, I was a bit more militant in those days. Um, um, and at that time, we were trying to. Um, I was I was on the Chelsea Sporters Group um, board, and we were trying to get Kenyon to reduce prices and all the rest of it. So there was a lot of crap. But by the time he left, I had a lot of time for him because he he did what we wanted him to do. He he actually reduced some of the prices, um, and more or less, he was the one who started getting the marketing and the banners and all all the stuff you now see in the ground. The, um, the, 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 just the general Chelseafication of Stamford Bridge, which, if you, if you remember, we didn't have under Bates. It was all Chelsea Village. All yeah. of that, the crest, everything, taking it back to the, the crest that we all like, that was all Kenyan. Um, Dave Johnson in particular, and a big shout out to him. He had a lot of conversations with Peter Kenyon, and Peter Kenyon listened. But moving it on to Emanalo, uh, again, the same with him. Um, a lot of that discourse around Emanalo was poisoned by the Avram Grant um, appointment, and we were all pretty sore about Mourinho leaving the first time, and so everything that came after him was seen in that light. But if you look at the guy's record, um, you look at the players that have come in as compared to Frank Arneson. So you're looking at Kevin De Bruyne, Thibaut Courtois, um, we got the Hazard deal done quickly, uh, sealed that down when we were up against City and Man United, um, people like Kante coming in. I mean, imagine how many clubs were after Kante, and we weren't even in the Champions League. I mean, yes, there were there were there were some questionable signings, but if you look at the bargain buys, the the Aspilicueta type signings, De Bruyne for seven point five million, Courtois for seven point five million, and then also the fact that a lot of people think that he was one of the people sticking up for Mourinho when things were things were tricky and uh, and calling for Mourinho to come back when we had the Benitez uh, business. I think there's more 
there's 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 a story to be told about what Emanuele did yeah, at Chelsea, and I, I think, think so. his autobiography uh, could be interesting. I, yeah. I think it will surprise a lot of people. Um, I think he was a he, he's not given the credit that he should be given because of the association he had with Avram Grant Stoll. Well, um, you know, there's, I think, there's nothing we like at Chelsea more than a a, a, a boo boy or a hate figure. Um, yeah. You know, we we have we we have them on the pitch, and um, you know, you know, prior to. It, you know, Ken Bates was one at one time, and I was certainly one yeah. of those. Who, you know, so I think you know it. It moved. Uh, it, it. It. You know, it's just. Just. A, it was just a, for me a point that uh, sometimes you don't realise what it is you had until it's gone. But personally, I think that they will. They will. I mean, certainly, what's what is public knowledge is is that the new director of football or technical director or whatever will report into Marina as opposed to directly into Roman um, uh, but they, they haven't announced there is some sort of hierarchical structural upgrade or... just, very, just very quickly on that if there's ever a club and I've always been in favour of the Bayern Munich model that you take your old players and you, you recycle them into directors I think that's I think it's a it's a it's a tried yes. and tested model yeah. and you, you, uh, Gary never well, wanted it at United yeah. but if there's ever a club that has the best possible resources for that. It's ours. If you look at some of the ex-players that we've got and what they've contributed to football, Viali's been writing, wrote one of the yeah. best books about football I have ever read in my life uh, at the Italian job. You've got Marcel Desailly, you've got, Balak, you've got uh, Michael Balak, you've got uh, potentially Frank Lampard, you've got John Terry when he, when he retires. You've got a whole host of players with European experience who love Chelsea, um, and who could do that job in a heartbeat. And I think we are absolutely spoiled for resources um, if we want a sporting director. Um, yeah. And I think we should use an ex-player. I really, really that's do. Good. I think we've got... That's a good good point, yeah. And I think one, that's... that's where we go. Um, can I make one more final Yeah, of course of you can, Martin. Yeah. You know, as oh, a final I, I think it, if, you know, if you can buy Papi Gilabodji for three million quid and sell him for eight or nine million quid, yeah. you're either a genius or a gangster, yeah. and I'm not sure which. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think the other thing to, to finish on is is that uh, this article I was reading, that several of the people they spoke to said the mistake is to, to home in on the personality and you know it's all about getting such and such a, a person. What What... The very successful guy, I think he's at Valencia at the moment, was saying it's all about building a system. It's having the system, the scouting system, the, the managing of your academy and all those other things. It's, it's having those systems that are robust so that if people come and go, the system will... Well, exactly. I mean, look, look how many managers we've had. And, and yet, you know, nothing has changed. We've still been winning trophies despite yeah, yeah. all the hiccups. So yeah. there's got to be, there's got to be, so, something, uh, you know, and so what would be nice, yeah, while it would be nice to get a, a, an ex player, you know, the ballots and so on, it's, it's more important that they get someone who understands this, you know, that, that understands the importance of, of keeping the system going, making the changes as they need to be made and, and just keep, you know, the whole thing moving along. Damn. So should we should we should we get should we get Wisey back from his bush tucker trial? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I was just going to Alex is the system. I'm going to just want to move it on. I want to there's this there's a, a couple of other players I want to talk about, and um, not least of all, um, but bear in mind that uh, we've we've overrun a bit on time a little bit. Um, starting with the David Luiz situation, um, is it a sulk or is it Antonio Conte teaching David Luiz? <laughs> 
and all of the other players, the lesson of uh, who the Don is now. Thoughts? I would be very disappointed if Luis has had a sulk and a moan at Conte and started questioning him, purely for the reason that it, you know Conte's coaching has you know turned David Luiz's reputation in this country from you know being an absolute clown mm. into an assured defender. So I'll be I'll be very disappointed if this has happened in the last few weeks. But again, all we're reading about is speculation in papers, and they're just filling columns and dead websites. So I think maybe they. <laughs> I like that dead websites. Yeah. Yeah, if, which some of them, some of them should should be taken off. I reckon uh, that's, that's my own personal politics. I mean, I can't. I struggle to see um, from his performances from Arsenal onwards. He has been playing on the edge again. The infuriating Luis, who you know tends to freelance, and I don't know what's caused that. Whether there's been rumours about things behind the scenes, fallout from Costa leaving, but I think he has, he's definitely made a statement, Conte has, you are doing this my way, and yeah. it also helps that there's a there was a man in Andrews Christensen ready made to come in and yeah, fill that sweet. I, 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 I don't know what all the fuss is about, I mean all you could see what it was, Conte told uh, Louise that he needed to get a haircut and David Louise was saying that all the barbers were closed. Yeah, yeah. So, and, if, <laughs> if and if Ethan hasn't got to get his haircut or William, then why well, should so I? Yeah. Exactly. But seriously, I think, look, it's it's a football club. They're going to be arguments. And you've got to remember that David Louise has been playing the season injured. Uh, again, this is the second season he's been doing it. And I think there comes a point where he has to realise that um, he's not Superman and that his form early in the season merited him being dropped. And Andres Christensen has been our best defender this season because our defending has been that bad that somebody who's come into the team as a, as a well, not as a youngster because he did well in Germany last season, but, you know, he's been the best defender and so he should play. So I don't think it's necessarily anything to, to make a drama about. Obviously, they've had an argument in public, but I think he understands that he's not going to be in that team while Christensen is playing the way he's playing. Mm. And that's the end of it. So I think. Uh, I well, think this is the other one. Is yeah. that, you know, Christiansen, uh, and I'll invite you in in a minute, Donal. I, I mean, I, I'm interested in this because I love David Luiz. I, I didn't want it to go the first time round. I don't want it to go this time. I think. Me neither. However, you know, if if uh, if uh, he wants to be petulant or to challenge, I mean, there are ways and means, and perhaps he's just overstepped his mark. Um, but also, uh, Christensen intrigues me because. Um, you know, I'm starting to look at him as to the first one, the first one from our youth system to make it uh, as a regular within our our first team squad. So, um, Donal, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, what the Louise thing? I don't know. It's it's um, it's because we're never we're never there, and you never know who's briefing who about what. Um, all I can say is that. Yeah, he's, he has been playing injured, and perhaps a rest is is better and getting that sorted out than than um, keeping on playing and you know losing confidence or getting irritated or you know whatever. I don't know. Um, I, I do like Christensen. I think you know he's he's. We were all quite, I think, excited when he was coming back from from Germany the talk of him was that he was you know a prospect and and he looks to and um yeah it's a it's a long season ahead 
Um, but what I've seen of him, you know, particularly his his coolness, his his ability on the ball, you know, which the way Chelsea play football now, and the way that all the top teams play play their game, you need ball players at the back, and and he certainly looks someone who's who's really you know capable of that, but also a good defender. Um, I mean, I did make the mistake of saying, I think before the Palace game that. We started. We'd started to look like a team who could defend properly, and then of course we went <laughs> conceded a million goals in a couple <laughs> of games. But yeah, I, you know the, the performance against United. You know that sort of performance tells you that he he, look, he looks the part. And he's a, he's a class act. I mean, mm. did you see after the Man City game, uh, Guardiola went straight up to him to, to mm. go and shake his hand? He's a he's a he's yeah, a, and, he's and, a and, and give him his act. number. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He's exactly the sort of player that you would imagine Guardiola would be looking at. You know that sort of, you know, good defence and good ball playing. You know, and to be fair to John Stones, you know, that's the sort of, you know, Christensen is is, I think, I, I think I, probably a better player. But but Stones this year is looking a lot better than he did last I year. St- I, I still think he's so, a massive bullet with John Stones. Yeah. I really I'm not saying we should have bought yeah. him. I'm just saying for a player yeah. who. Who looked terrible last year? He's starting to look again. You know, what he was at Everton, and it's obvious Guardiola likes that type of player. And uh, you know, as I say, I'm, I'm very excited about Christensen. I just, um, I am as well. Actually, I look at him and think, um, you know, this guy. Who did he play for in the German league? But I mean, he played every game Munch for two years. Yeah, and, and whatever for two years, mm-hmm. um, and I, I know. You know, I think it was probably looked down as a bit of an error within the club that we actually put him on a two-year deal um, with no callback clause or whatever when when we probably could have done with it. Um, and it's good to see it. I, I still think there's a place for David Luiz in the, in the side. I think that um, when I look at him, he's he's probably got more versatility than Christensen in terms of where he could play around the pitch. Um, but, you know, if his attitude is a bit off, I'm really pleased because how many times we've done podding sheds in the past, um, you know, and I'll go back to that season, that's, you know, difficult third season with Mourinho, um, both times when it looked like there was potentially some sort of dressing room unrest, clicks being formed and this sort of stuff. Um, and, and, you know, especially the last time around, Mourinho didn't seem to have an answer to it. Um, and yet rumours were rife about, you know, players not you know, down in tools and this sort of stuff. And, and I just get the impression that Conte seriously does not, will not accept that. And for once, the club and the hierarchy at the club have backed him up and said, yeah, go ahead. If we have to get rid of Costa, we have to get rid of Costa. Um, and, and if Louise is upset about the way Costa went, then tough shit, in my view. You know, you're, you're a professional player, you're playing the team, and, and that's, the, that's the end of it, as far as I'm I mean, concerned. It, it's not, it's not, it's not too bad a thing. I mean, you need leaders in that dressing room. Um, yeah. You know, if, if John Terry's gone, Frank Lampard's gone, all the rest of them have gone, you, you do need people like Louise who can stand up and speak their, speak their opinion. But at the same time, too, there's a manager there for a reason. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, uh, Louise is, I think he's fair play to him. He's, he's not sort of come out and leaked stuff to the press. He said his piece, Conte has said his piece, and he's not grumbled. No. He just got on with it. Yeah. So that's that. Well, of course, I mean, the press will try and mischief make wherever they can. Um, just going to move quickly on. Um, just want a quick mention of um, progress, uh, very quick as well, um, of uh, Rubens Loftus Cheek and Tammy Abraham, both who um, styled for England the other week. I'm, I'm impressed with Gareth Southgate. I'm impressed with the fact that. He's not scared to use a lot of players that he used when um, when guiding the younger um, variants of the England squad. Um, 
irrespective of whether or not they are, uh, you know, um, tearing up the Premier League or whatever. Um, and I'm, I've, I was impressed with with both. And I know that Loftus Cheek is a bit of a, a sort of curious egg in a way, in some ways, because you know you, there's all this talent there, but he's never really shown it for us. And Tammy Abrams never had that chance. Um, so I just want a, a couple of thoughts on 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 that. And I'll start with you, Martin. Um, well, Ruben Loftus Cheek would, in my view, in hindsight, been twenty twenty. If he had gone on the on loan at the same time as Christensen on the same day, type of deal, right. two years, he would yeah. his development would have. Great I point. would say would have gone exactly the same way as Andreas Christensen has, and he would be knocking on the door in the same way and could possibly be in the team now. I don't know why he wasn't loaned out. It's one of the. It's good, for me. It's a what if. You know why? Yeah. When he wasn't playing, when he was on the bench, he why wasn't he? chucked out on loan because even with the greatest respect to Crystal Palace that's not the level he should be playing at that's going to help his development to play for Chelsea yeah um, Donald no, I, uh, oh sorry go on Quaco then no no, no let, let, let Donald go first no it's alright carry on okay. no, I, was, I was just going to say that I think Loftus-Cheek needed to find out what position he actually played because I think for the last three to four years he, he's not actually known where he should be on the football pitch and I think it's better that he goes to Palace and Palace and under an England manager, an old England manager, wherever you think of Royal and he's an England manager and he's managed abroad, he finds a position for him. Loftus-Cheek yeah. takes that position and he develops into it because yeah. for the last couple of seasons, he's just not known where he's supposed to be playing. He's not a defensive midfielder. He's not an attacking midfielder. I think going to Palace, side that, you know, he's, he's going to be a big fish in a small pond. He gets that. He gets that freedom. And when he comes back to us, he'll be a, he'll be a much much better player for it. You don't think um, he would have benefited doing what Christian did going to a mid fair to middling Bundesliga side? Well, the, 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 the thing is that well, this is an entire separate debate on its own. But English players generally, in the last couple of years, uh, it's only just started to change with the Man City boy. Um, they've not wanted to travel abroad, mm-hmm. um, and I think um, if you get a player who um, like Christensen, they're used to you know playing in Germany or Italy or Spain or whatever. But English players are not doing that. So if Loftus Cheek feels that he's going to um, get his development at Crystal Palace, then let him do it there. So long as he comes back knowing what position he is and knowing what he needs to do, the level that he needs to be at to play for us. Um, small thing on him. Um, there's some I don't know whether it's Southgate who said it, but apparently he can't play 90 minutes. Um, he's I've got not, some I've heard that. His, you know, I heard uh, that a couple of seasons ago about him, but it wasn't said. I didn't hear it attributed to Southgate because he, yeah, when he was playing a little bit, when it went wrong under Mourinho, and then when Hiddink came in, he played ninety minutes once, but he was generally hooked at 70, 80 yeah. minutes. I didn't know there was it was an actual condition or a problem. I, th- I think it's one to keep. I mean, all players have this kind of stuff. I mean, Ashley Cole could only train I think twice a week but it didn't really affect him. So, no. I mean, it, you know, it's just, you know, we just have to see how that develops. But, yeah, I mean, he's got a bright future um, so long as he continues to do what he's doing. And I think he's at a good place to develop. I mean, Roy Hodgson, as I said, he's an England manager. So if you can't learn anything there, then you're not really going to learn anything anywhere, to be honest. Yeah, OK. Donal? Um, yeah, I think... Um, uh, I think it's good to see Loftus-Cheek starting to build up a, a head of steam and some confidence there there is this question over i mean it's not it's not that he's unfit there's obviously some i don't know physiological 
issue, I would assume. Uh, whether that whether he grows out of that or what it is, I don't know. But um, certainly watching the England, I know it's only an England friendly, but you know to see him looking comfortable playing international football, which is obviously different to the week in week out Premier League. But it, it can't do him any harm to to pick up that sort of confidence and self belief. Um, and then come back to Chelsea with it. Um, and, you know, he's he's one of those players who, again, seems to divide the crowd. You know, he only had to have misplace a pass when he was getting his few minutes and people were, you know, he was one of the youngsters that people didn't really seem to, to have a lot of time for. And it was a lot of it seemed to be around this, he's not trying hard enough. Whereas the other night, a lot of people... You know, observers, commentators, etc., in their various pieces, were sort of saying how he was one of those players who always seems to have time on the ball. So one man's player who can stroll through a game because he always seems to have time on the ball is another fan's lazy bastard who needs to, you know, put a couple of sprints in. So I think. Cess you, know, you, <laughs> you have a player who has a style and a way of playing which you know, appears to work for most people um, whether he suits what Chelsea want to do I don't know it seems to be a shame to, to get players into the England squad and then never find a place to play them yeah. so you'll see what happens but I'm, I'm pleased for him yeah. and the same with, with Tammy Abraham Although I think Abraham is, is younger and has got more time on his side. I think, you know, Loftus Cheek needs to be, you know, bedding in in the next season or so, doesn't he? Really? Yeah, I think Given so. His yeah. age. Yeah. So just make an impact, like, you know, grab games by the throat yeah. and say, you know, this is so, what I can do. Yeah. I think we've. Uh, well, week in, week out, he, appears to, he always appears to be listed whenever you read something about Palace. You know, if you're sort of on Twitter or you're looking at the summaries on BBC or whatever as a game is going on, they all generally talk about him as being the player who's doing things down. You know, he's playing with people like Kabay and so on, who normally you'd expect to be the, the name that pops up all the time when they're talking about Palace. And it's, it seems to be always him. So he must yeah. be doing something like that. Now. Indeed. I'm going to move on. Um, I just wanted to uh, 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 touch on on those players. I, I think we've we covered off the Kante, uh, you know, one man team thing a bit earlier on. Um, but I do want to give a very quick shout out before we move into previewing what's what's coming up um, in the next few weeks. Um, but a shout out because uh, I believe Victor Moses um, was voted as the African Footballer of the Year, um, uh, which is an astounding, That's uh, a heck of an achievement. You know, for for a player. Um, who, who, who seemed to be living a very nomadic life with Chelsea, you know, uh, sort of travelling between different towns and, uh, and pitching his tent down wherever it was. But, um, I think. And still uh, needs to learn how to take throw-ins. Well, I think, so, yeah, but he's, there's a staggering statistic, which I, I can't remember what it is, but, you know, the amount of games that we play with him that we win, and then when he's yeah. not in the side, uh, you know, we don't. Um, so, uh, uh, it's not really a, uh, one for, uh, any particular comment? Just to shout out and say that um, you know that 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 is you know that's a hell of an achievement for just, a player. Just, just very quickly on, on Victor Moses because I think this needs to be said. Any person watching, any young player who's uh, interested in football should look at Victor Moses. It's a guy who was nowhere near the Chelsea first team, but through his discipline and through working hard and through basically 
just doing learning to do what he was told by his manager is now African Footballer of the Year. I mean, I think I think he he deserves it. Is 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 I know he can't take thrones, but his attitude <sighs> has been absolutely outstanding. Really, uh, I've got so much time for that man. Indeed, I'm um, gonna move on now and um, we're going to have a little preview uh, 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 a preview of um, uh, of what we've got coming up and it starts of course tomorrow night. I, I believe we have a five o'clock kickoff tomorrow night in uh, in Baku against um, uh, Karabag um, a team that we pretty much um, put to the sword at Stanford Bridge um, and then we have the run that I said earlier on we have Liverpool away um, I'm a little surprised at the fact that we are playing on a Wednesday and won't be landing until something like five or six o'clock Thursday morning, and then playing Liverpool literally almost a day and a half later. Um, and I think we tripped up on this once before, didn't we, with um, a, a pretty lethargic display after um, Atletico Madrid, and then up against Manchester City, where ultimately we only lost one nil, which is probably about as good as anybody's done this season. But um, we look pretty lethargic. So uh, I'll go back to you, Donal. Thoughts on that one? Um, yeah, I, I sort of um, I feel a bit, bit like sort of part of the Pacific Ocean, really. In that, <laughs> um, given the the name of that uh, League Cup competition and our opposition tomorrow night, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to people of Azerbaijan, but we seem to be starting to be overwhelmed by teams and competitions that that sort of sound a bit like the word carrier bag um, we're in the carrier bag we have the carrier bag cup and, and now we're we're in carabag but anyway that's just a, a small aside and another aside the carabao cup seems to be a competition where and I rarely find myself agreeing with Jose Mourinho anymore but certainly did agree with him about this when he was asked about the carabao draw said what draw I never saw a draw I've just been told who we're playing and it is football eating itself for a, an English Cup competition to have a supposed draw taking place halfway around the world, which then, for technical reasons, never gets seen, but still took place, supposedly. You know, I just found it... The smell of the fish coming off that the world. Was unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I've always been a great believer in... in, in you know the hot and cold balls, but at least you you had the excitement of trying to spot the guy picking the ball out of the bowl and going. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I, I speculated. Got a hot one, yeah. yeah. I speculated on Twitter because it was Phil Tufnell and Matt Bolton doing the draw, and the reason they kept having the technical failures because. Tufnell kept yelping every time he picked out a hot ball, so they had to cut retake. <laughs> you know, I think that's what caused the delay. Yeah, um, it's an interesting one. I mean, quick. Anyway, sorry to get. Yeah, yeah, sorry to get back. Oh, you, you've gone all Norman Collier on me. Sorry, Tony. Can Can you hear me now? Yes, that's perfect now. Yes, much better. Yeah, um, yeah I do have concerns about you know. Hopefully, what will happen is um, we do need to win there, and it's it's. The fact we won six 0 at home is a completely different setup over there, and some of the other teams haven't. I mean, Atletico Madrid only drew out there, didn't they? And yeah. at home against yeah. them, they drew home and away against them. So you know, it's it's not a foregone conclusion, but you do hope that you can rest a, a good number of players and still put out a team that's good enough to win it. 
because their number um, ten yeah. is injured as well. Their Brazilian number ten, I've forgotten his name. He's uh, he's injured. All oh, right. Okay. 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 Yeah. Or suspended one of the two. I can't remember. So, um, so in general, we'll think as a consensus that tomorrow night, you know, even a, a narrow one nil off the back of someone's arse will will be sufficient. Does that actually qualify us? Does that would that guarantee? Yeah, I think, I think I it's only three so. points from the last two games. So. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. There's there's talk that Christensen's going to be arrested. I was just reading Simon Johnson. You're saying yeah. that Christensen's likely to be arrested for Liverpool. Right. I'm a little bit worried about this game, you know, because. It, it looks. Has it got Palace written all over it? <laughs> but if, if we mess this up, we're going to have to. We'll end up in a situation when we have to beat Atletico Madrid to qualify, and right. that is that. That will be an unnecessarily big uh, omelette to uh, or hash yeah. to, to deal with. So yeah. we, we, you know, we better do our jobs uh, properly. Right. Um, I've just I'm going to correct that. I thought um, Victor Moses had been voted that. He hasn't. He's actually been shortlisted uh, amongst five. Oh. But uh, having said that, uh, it's um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, Nabi, Nabi Keita, Sadio Mane and Mohamed Salah. Um, none of them won a premiership last year, as far as I know. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> moving on... Um, I just want to <laughs> quickly touch on that. Um, so, if we uh, look at that r- run again, um, uh, we've got Liverpool um, Saturday, tough game. Um, we haven't been particularly great against them at Stamford Bridge for two years, uh, or three maybe, um, let alone at Anfield. Um, uh, so, we've got Liverpool, uh, then we've got Swansea, Newcastle, West Ham, Huddersfield, Southampton, Bournemouth, Everton, Brighton and Stoke, all of which sounds a very, very nice run. So I'm going to ask each of you in turn to say, from that perspective, uh, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten games, what you think we should get out of it. Martin, from 30 points. The, Bour- the Bournemouth game's a cup game, just to, before, oh, is before it? we start. You might. Oh, yes, that, that's... Okay. Yeah, that. Oh, right. So nine uh, games, which would only take it to thirteen, but uh, would equal last season. So, um, Martin, start with that. So it's from twenty-seven, not thirty. Oh goodness, I, I'd be any. I think anywhere from I'd say twenty-three to all twenty-seven. I think it's completely realistic. Um, Li- Liverpool's the obvious standout game. They are currently three-two up in Seville, having been three-nil up at half-time. Right. Um, word, my word, a, my word. They're having a bit. They're having a bit of a game on their hands now, and they weren't expecting. Right, expecting that's it, the sound so. of scout sphincters going like the clappers. One would imagine. Yes, indeed. Um, Quaku, have they, have they have they already qualified? I think because they qualify the if they result. win. They, they, I'm not sure. I think they qualify if they win this. Right, because Spartak drew, didn't they? So, I, you know, it's not yeah. said anything about whether they qualified or not on this. Okay, I'm following BBC text and commentary, so it's all a bit. Uh, yeah, but I've heard Chris Stamble mentioned, which tells you how bad it's going. Oh dear. Okay, <laughs> and you don't like to see that, do you? No. Um, um, Quicko, Quicko, <laughs> from twenty-seven. I'm, I'm... I'm worried about that trip to Anfield, and I'm also worried about the trip to West Ham. Um, I just I keep thinking Mo Salah. I don't know why, but I just keep. keep uh, he's in he's in very good form at the moment, and I know we don't like pace. But let's see. I I I probably go along with um, with Martin. I think probably around 23 from the 27. Um, hoping that uh, Arsenal and Tottenham uh, drop points. 
Um, and, I, and this is a really crucial period for us because I've had a look at Tottenham's fixtures and they, they seem to be quite nice. So Tottenham um, don't seem to have played anybody, and when they have, they seem to have blown it. But we seem to have had. I, I think we've had a, a tougher start than Spurs personally. It's, but so. it's, we've we've got a tough season all season. Um, yeah, yeah, we have well, the course, kind yeah. of season we had last season, where we had quite. If I looked at our fixtures last season and compared them to this one, and we had we had nice clean runs last season, and this season we don't. It's constant punctuation with, yeah, with, yeah. with big teams. So, yeah. but we just have to deal with it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think twenty three from the twenty seventh. Donal? Uh, I haven't. I haven't an earthly. I, I. We could win them all. We could lose them all. That's how you know my football knowledge is so so minuscule. I've got no way. This is why I'm not a betting man. Mm. Um, Me neither. But my view was 23. I, I think there's two draws in there, but the rest we can win. You know. Um, mm. And it's Newcastle at home, which is good because we usually win that one. It's Newcastle away that's mm. absolutely always a shit pit of a game. That um, That's the last every, game of the season. Every single mm. frigging time I've ever been. Uh, mm. And it usually coincides with one of my Christmas dinners, either work ones or friends ones or whatever. Yeah. And normally it's just like looking down at my phone and then mm. before somebody pipes up and goes, Oh, look, Chelsea losing to Newcastle. Oh, God. You know, anyway. Yeah, I mean, um, I, we should have too much for Swansea. We, we should have too much for Newcastle. You know, in theory. Uh, West Ham away, they're probably getting a bit of a dead cat bounce with noise. I, I think there's bigger problems there than they're going to turn around, but they're always a bit like Palace. Although, I don't know, I went to the game last year and, and were fairly comfortable until the last five minutes when suddenly woke up so Huddersfield are they starting to struggle now is yeah. Huddersfield a pace I think so yeah they got they Southam- beating by um, Bournemouth yeah. Southampton we got home pretty shocking refereeing performance again there wow. that Huddersfield game Everton Everton away they could have their new manager in place oh. by then couldn't they well Robert Mugabe's retired isn't he so Tony Pulis won't it did he hear the joke about that? Um, I don't understand how uh, Robert Mugabe is still president and not, um, is about, well, can go after uh, after one day and Arsene Wenger can still be in charge. Well, yes, yes. Uh, you also got the other one, which is uh, Robert Mugabe has resigned and Big Sam's in the frame uh, to take over there, along with Alan Pardew and um, Alan Kerbishley. Um, he, but... he's going back to He's going to go and retire to Yorkshire, apparently, isn't he? His name backwards is Ebagum. Ebagum, yeah, that's right. Very good. First name Treble. I have actually heard that Robin Mugabe is a Chelsea supporter. Genuinely. Lord, no, I've well. heard. I heard the guy who's taking over is a Chelsea supporter. He was a, ah, apparently right. a massive fan of Didier Drogba. Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, well, in that, well, yeah. I say good. He's not exactly got the greatest reputation from behind. <laughs> no, he's he's as bad. Yeah, as, no, no, I, I think. think yes, I, yeah. I think before we get into, before, probably yeah, before, them, <laughs> before we get uh, before we get pulled into um, African politics, uh, uh, etc. Um, I'm just going to move, move it on now into the last bit, which is the, the, the outro. Um, I still, I had a couple of points I want to make, and one one is a question actually. Is that um, I, I, I don't know. I might have imagined this, but if you finish second in your Champions League group, have they got rid of the seeding for the second? Now, does no, it matter? no, it's still there. No, it's still, it's still there. So you, you would pull out a, 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 an arguably Sorry. bigger team. Sorry, there, there you go, Donald. Yeah. No, you got to save that because I'm putting that in. I know, I am. I know. <laughs> Donald, we want, we want the hot balls. 
Um, and also, I just want to say that um, although City are very much the team to catch and, and have been scintillating both in form and in their performances, etc., um, calling them uh, champions or the best ever, this is the one I, I got me, is utterly stupid beyond belief to compare this City side to um, the Chelsea side of you know, 2004, 2005, 2006 to any number of Manchester United sides before that um, and say this is the best ever um, seems to me that there's an awful lot of fellatio being performed on Pep Guardiola by the press at the moment um, that's all I'll say about that. Um, we're going to move on to the outro. Uh, I want to plug um, Alex um, Churchill of this uh, pa- parish. Um, the, the lovely Alex Churchill is also the girl, uh, girl who likes balls. Um, Sweary Poppins, known by any number of different names, um, is actually walking across the desert in Jordan right now. Um, there was a link put out there, so I will retweet it after this because I think it's a, a, a fantastic cause. Um, uh, that she's walking for for the uh, the, the, the veterans etc um, and it's no easy job and I believe actually one of the party actually had to pull out before uh, before the actual um, walk uh, on health grounds I think the, the doctor stepped in and said no you're not going to be able to do this um, but um, you know you're not going to hear this Alex but you may well play this back one day or you may well be sitting in a bar in Jordan if they have such things I um, think that's probably not likely no it's a, it's a dry it's a dry <laughs> country it, it? yeah <laughs> yeah yes. Uh, but maybe, maybe you'll 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 be sitting on, in your British Airways uh, club class seat on the way back, um, and think I'll oh, just listen to the podding shed actually. Um, but anyway, good luck with that. Uh, parish notices, um, uh, iTunes. Um, you can pick this up on iTunes. Um, usually a day or two afterwards, um, after me and uh, Donal have uploaded it and um, given Nick the nod um, for him to do his his editing and his um, you know. Uh, background engineering and all that sort of stuff that he does um, uh, you can also pick it up on uh, poddingshed.com um, where you'll find 88 previous episodes and uh, you know if you really are that determined this that ghost episode is in there somewhere um, a quick plug for the Chelsea Supporters Trust um, join the trust and get your voice heard by the club uh, it's £5 to become a voting member it, you can join free but you won't have any votes um, you can sign up at chelseasupporterstrust.com I have I've paid um, and then you can attend the meetings go to the events and vote on the issues that, that directly affect you um, and they are doing some really good stuff around ticket prices about how to um you know, get the uh, much like the club, try and get the youth involved back again, um, rather than us crusty old bastards who tend to be able to the only ones who can afford to go at the games. Um, but also other things like um, you know the safe standing initiative, etc. Um, uh, you can follow them on Twitter at um, they are at Chelsea S Trust. Um, the next shed, um, well, I'd said this is my words from the last one. Uh, the next shed will be in two weeks after the break and after Palace. Um, and it's turned out to be somewhat longer than that. Um, but I do want to finish on um, a, 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 a rather more slightly sombre note. I don't want to make it too sombre because, um, uh, it, it, you know, there's some very good memories there. Um, but the actor, uh, Rodney Bewes, um, sadly passed on today. Um, a renowned uh, Chelsea fan uh, and a proper one at that not one of the freeloaders or the liggers or whatever um, but someone who was you know regularly at the club um, loved by um, pretty much everybody that, that kind of knew him um, but will also also be remembered for um, starring in, 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 in 
possibly two of the finest sitcoms um, that that Albion has ever produced. Um, and I don't mean West Bromwich Albion. That's just me trying to show that I'm flash enough to remember that that's what England used to be called at one point. Um, but um, the, it, it's a, it, the program was the the likely lads. Some of us will be old enough to remember that grainy black and white series from about 1967 I guess something like that um but more famously probably because the the follow up was far more successful which was um and I've done this in a quiz question I've played the the theme tune and I've said I want to know what the program is and the number of people that put the likely lads down and I go no 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 the theme tune is from whatever happened to the likely lads I asked you for the title of the series from which the song was come. So, uh, Rodney B sadly passed away today, 79, so not a bad innings. Um, I believe, Donal, you have a suitable musical interlude for us. I have indeed, coming right up uh, by the wonders of modern recording technology. He says... <laughs> Uh, thank you very much Rodney indeed that sent uh, shivers down my spine and goose pimples over my arms because not only was it a fantastic sitcom but that to me is one of the greatest theme tunes to any programme ever probably only beaten in my mind by the excellent theme tune to the persuaders hashtag one for the teenagers Um, of course it's a a programme that's regularly referred to whenever the theme of trying yes. to avoid the, the, the score yes. is much more yeah, difficult yeah. in this day and age but it is there was that famous episode yeah. where they were trying to avoid hearing the, was it the England score it was the, it was the, it was the England score and it was uh, it was it was it was one of those classic you know it's probably out there with um, some of the only fools and horses ones you know with falling through the bar and that because if anybody has ever watched it uh, the, the whole episode it you know revolves around these two guys Bob and Terry um from very, you know, from similar upbringings, but very different in the way they've grown up, going out of their way to avoid the England score, um, you know, so that they can uh, watch it later on or whatever. They needed to avoid it, uh, and it is a, and a very, very amusing episode. But you know, a lot of them were, and it is genuinely quite sad because uh, only, you know, I'm just one of those people who remember it so vividly, and you know, it's just yet another sort of piece of your childhood and and whatever that's been taken away from you. Um, I'm going to move it on now, um, and thanks to Donald for that. Um, I'm going to just ask you for any last thoughts, chaps. I'll start with you, Martin. Any last thoughts? Anything you want to throw in? And um, <laughs> I'm just, well, I'm just thinking back to what you were talking about with them. Um, whatever happened to the lightly lads? And I almost said, what became of the lightly lads? That's something completely different, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Um, I've done something similar after the Palace game um, where I went into Clapham and got so drunk I forgot the score (laughs) 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 what what a great advert for um, Uh, I I think uh, that's a 2017 remake (laughs) (laughs) absolutely superb I love that one thank you very much for that that's a great story I seem to remember you tweeting about that that as well Uh, it got very Uh, stupid (laughs) indeed Um, Donal any last thoughts um, a couple I don't of mean last as in you're going to shuffle off this mortal coil, I mean just for this podcast, of course. Yeah, that's very kind of you to say so. Um, 
let's think. Uh, an upside thought. Um, one of life's major irritations um, outside of losing a derby game would be losing to uh, Jose Mourinho at Stamford Bridge. So uh, that's a that's one thing that we can take from this season. We know yes. that we've done that and that's out of the way. And that's one of those things that would always hang over the season and irritate you no matter how good or bad the season was. So that's the upside. The downside thought, which I obviously have to leave you with a depressing thought. Um, and, and also perhaps a, a travel tip. It might be a good moment to start scanning flights to Madrid because... Um, if things go badly wrong for us and we finish top of the group, it could be fairly certain that Real Madrid are going to come second in their group. And you know where we'll end up. Oh, yes. Hot yes, and cold exactly. balls yes, being what they right. are. Yeah. All right. so. we, never, we never lost to them in three games. We're all right. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, dear. Um, and well, finally, you know. And finally, anything Queco? Uh, yeah, uh, two great things. Um, I saw today that um, Conte, despite the uh, the hiccups we've had this season, obviously last season, um, is the has the second best record um, after 50 Premier League games um, after said Jose Mourinho, um, who obviously did that at Chelsea. In fact, the first three managers are all Chelsea managers: uh, Mourinho, Conte, and Ancelotti. Really? Um, second, sure. Yes, all three. Uh, the and all three won the league in their first season as well. Um, the second thing is just uh, obviously Tony mentioned the Chelsea Supporters Trust. Um, very good reason why you should be joining it. Uh, BBC Cost of Football survey came out last week, and uh, just a personal bugbear. I find it um, reprehensible how high the ticket prices are, um, and I spent most of my early days, um, my my youth such as it was, um, fighting to get those prices down and they keep going up and then the clubs say that they've frozen it after they've uh, had inflation-busting price rises from the previous seasons. We have to get these prices down and uh, and that's why you should be joining the Trust to make sure we put as much pressure on the clubs to do it because they have the money. Lovely. Uh, thank you very much for that. I'm just thinking that, that you know the, the first top three managers to 50 games record-wise are Chelsea ones. And, yep. uh, and, and two of them, you know, sadly have been sacked and it just brings to mind, um, uh, one of the tracks off of, um, the album Bat Out of Hell, which is actually called Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. I think Antonio Conti might be thinking that himself. Um, listen chaps, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, we're gonna call it a day there. Um, it, like I said, um, we'll let you know. I will tweet about tonight and I will also, um, tweet and I no doubt Nick will when the podcast has done and you can expect loads of retweets from from all of us here. Um uh, thanks very much guys. It's been an absolute pleasure. I promise not to leave it so long next time. Um but that might mean five weeks instead of six. No, I, I really yeah, genuinely just in gonna case. Wait. Um but just we in have case, got I think we could Sorry, yeah. just in case, you know, there is a long gap, we should wish our listeners a happy Christmas. Yeah. yeah. New Year. <laughs> <laughs> happy Christmas, happy New Year. Oh, happy yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Like, yeah. I the, think, the, baby, uh, the baby Jesus may have been and gone by the time. Yes. I, 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 I am actually now, uh, I'm actually I'm away this weekend, which is of no consequence. I'm at the Swansea game 
uh, and then I'm away in Copenhagen next week, so I actually do miss the Newcastle home game. But in in, in our defence, my wife booked Copenhagen back in February sometime, way before the fixtures would come out. Uh, and then after that, I think I'm pretty much completely at every game every home game uh, after that uh, and certainly look forward to seeing um, one or all of you over the Christmas period um, I'm going to say that good night chaps uh, good night Donal yeah good night Tony thanks very much and uh, good night good night, night. Uh, and good night Kweku one and odd there cheers <laughs> <laughs>